Hi all, you're listening to At The Bean, a medical education podcast where we discuss high-yield oncology with a focus in radiation oncology. We are Trudy and Josh, and thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of At The Beam. We're coming back after a long winter break and excited to restart the year. Um, I'm accompanied, of course, by Trudy Wu, and um, we have a very special guest today. So today we're accompanied by Dr. Matt Farrell from the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Hey, Matt. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. You're both my idols. (laughs) <laughs> the idols might be a strong word, but <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment. All right, Matt. So today we have a, a case of meningioma we're going to go over. But before doing that, we're hoping to get to know you a little bit better and um, have our listeners get to know you more. Um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, You know, where you're from, where you went to school, things like that? Yeah, you bet. I would love to. I grew up in Sacramento. I took a long road to medicine. I went to Stanford for undergrad, where I majored in film and minored in creative writing. Then I went to grad school for creative writing, got a Master of Fine Arts in Fiction Writing from the University of Oregon. When I was nearing the end of that program, I was deciding, what the heck am I going to do next? And I realized that a lot of my writing actually had to do with medicine. There were characters dealing with illness, uh, specifically cancer most commonly, So I realized that this was something I was interested in, and so I decided to explore it further. Plus, my wife, Jessica, girlfriend at the time, was already applying to med school, and I would follow her anywhere. So feeling inspired, I went to a post-bac program because I hadn't taken a single pre-med class that I needed the first go-round. After that, I went to OHSU for med school, Providence St. Vincent in Portland for uh, my intern year, and now UCLA for Radonc Residency, where I have the pleasure of working with people as brilliant and kind as Trudy. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. For those of you listening who's uh, not aware, Matt has this incredible piece that was uh, recently published in JAMA, so you should check it out. It was published in January of this year um, called How Was Clinic? So Matt, do you mind telling us a little bit more about uh, some of the work you do in narrative medicine? Yeah. Thanks so much for bringing that up. That's a poem I recently wrote. It's about my wife, my parents, and how we often see shades of our own loved ones and the patients we see and the connections that can immediately form. I am really interested in narrative medicine, which is essentially storytelling about medicine. I've learned a lot and been moved by reading other people's stories about medical practice, about the patient experience, about illness. And it's broadened my perspective on the whole practice of medicine. And I'm really grateful for that. And it's been fun. And I've gotten a lot of meaning from writing some of my own pieces. So I was really excited about that acceptance. I will say that it hasn't been all success and acceptance for me. I remember back when I was in my creative writing program, the first short story I ever turned in, the professor wrote in all capital letters at the bottom, you should write for TV sitcoms where nothing important ever happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, wow. yeah, that's the sort of uh, constructive criticism that <laughs> prepared Sounds me helpful. for med school. <laughs> yeah. But look at where you are now. Yeah, so proud of you. So proud of Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, this that. stuff is, is so important just because, you know, we all get lost in, in numbers and figures and we forget this, this whole human side of medicine that gets exemplified by work like this. So it's uh, really great to see and just really adds like this humanistic perspective to medicine. We forget we're treating people sometimes, right? It gets so caught up yeah. in cure rates and, you know, types of treatments and what drugs to do. And, and yeah, it's just nice to be able to see the voice behind all that. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we need, we need people like you, Matt, to remind us <laughs> of that, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, when Trudy and I are talking offline, we actually just talk in numbers. We just go, oh, one, seven, seven, four, five. And <laughs> also mighty <laughs> that's numbers. Not true. <laughs> I, I usually get a response that says, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Death glares. <laughs> no, no. Do you have any hobbies outside of um, medicine, Matt, you want to share with everyone? Yeah, I like reading fiction. I listen to a lot of audiobooks during my commutes in LA. And as a former film major, I do still love watching movies. It's fun being in LA in the heart of the film industry. And Trudy and I and other people in the program have gone to some great movie premieres, had some celebrity sightings. And speaking of celebrity sightings, uh, we've got a couple right here with Trudy and Josh from At The Beam. <laughs> I don't think we're even C-list celebrities. They're probably like Z or maybe double letters. No, like Z. <laughs> Z, Z. And I'm glad you described it as celebrity sightings and not celebrity stockings. <laughs> that's certainly not what it was. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, great. Okay. Well, I think we can jump into today's case then. So we're going to continue. Sure. We're going to start our CNS series. We're going to talk about meningiomas. And um, meningiomas are the most frequent primary brain tumor and account for about a third of all primary brain and spinal tumors. Although most are benign, their location in the CNS can cause serious morbidity and mortality, and their incidence increases progressively with age with a median diagnosis of 65. Meningiomas are more common in women with a female to male ratio of two to three to one. And spinal meningiomas, which is about 10% of all meningiomas, have even a larger female-to-male ratio of about 9 to 1. All right, so let's dive into this case. Matt, a 55-year-old female, she presents to her PCP with a headache and right foot paresthesias for one month. What do you want to ask? I would start off with a comprehensive history, focusing on whether there's a history of cancer, seizures, stroke, vascular disease, or head injuries. When talking to the patient, I would gather more details on her headaches and inquire about any associated visual changes, nausea or vomiting, weight loss, and focal neurodeficits. Great. Yeah, so meningiomas, they most commonly present as a headache, but seizures can occur in about 30% of patients. And keep in mind that these benign brain tumors can also be asymptomatic and detected incidentally. All right, so our patient is postmenopausal and started hormone replacement therapy three years ago. She denies any other symptoms, risk factors, or significant medical history, social history, or family history. Can you please tell me what risk factors you're evaluating for and what would you want to do next? Common risk factors associated with meningiomas include a history of prior radiation to the head and a history of neurofibromatosis type 2. Hormonal therapy has been implicated in the development of meningiomas which are possibly thought to be hormonally driven. For our patient, I would next perform a physical exam, paying careful attention to her neuro exam, and obtain imaging, including a CT scan and MRI. 
Great. Yeah, so aside from right foot paresthesias, her neuro and physical exam are unremarkable. Her CT scan shows an enhancing left-sided hyperdense mass along the posterior falcs with surrounding hypoattenuation in white matter. A, an MRI was obtained soon after, which shows a well-circumscribed enhancing lesion in the same region in the left superior temporal lobe arising from the posterior falcs with some cystic changes and extension into the sagittal sinus. The T2 imaging suggests some moderate surrounding edema with a moderately hyperintense mass. Got it. Those descriptions sound consistent with a meningioma. About 60% of meningioma cases will have surrounding edema although edema hasn't been correlated with grade or size of the lesion. Some buzzwords that describe meningiomas on imaging are an extracranial homogeneously enhancing mass with or without a dural tail. These tumors may be T2 iso-intense. Yeah, so since you mentioned a dural tail, around what percent of tumors have a dural tail, and is this something that is exclusive to meningiomas? Yeah, about 60% of meningiomas have a dural tail, and it's not exclusive to meningiomas. Dural tails can also be seen in lymphoma and chloroma. Excellent. Um, what do you want to consider for your next steps? In her situation, I would consider steroids, especially if she has significant edema and symptoms. If she presented with seizures, anti-epileptic drugs should be considered. And in our patient-specific case, I would recommend that she stop taking the hormone replacement therapy. Good. Yeah, so um, steroids were not started given she has mild symptoms, but the hormone replacement therapy was discontinued. Talk me through the general management options for meningiomas. She has three general treatment options, observation, definitive radiotherapy, and surgery. Great. Um, when would you consider observation? Observation is usually reserved for small asymptomatic cases without mass effect. About 40 to 60% of cases will remain stable, with skull-based tumors having a higher predilection for stability. You want to monitor with serial MRI scans to ensure less than 2 millimeters of growth per year. Any growth more than 3 millimeters annually may increase the patient's risk of symptoms and would be concerning for high-grade disease. When would you consider definitive radiation? RT results in excellent control for small grade 1 meningiomas and is a great option for tumors without any mass effect. It's typically delivered with SRS 14 to 16 gray in a single fraction or standard fractionation to 50 to 54 gray for grade 1 tumors. The total radiation dose depends largely on the grade and can range anywhere from 50 to 60 gray. Both SRS and fractionated radiation result in local control of greater than 90% at five years for grade one tumors. However, with SRS, you wanna be aware of toxicities, particularly when considering uh, edema around the tumor and certain locations, uh, parasagittal, falcine, convexity, skull base, which may lead to a symptomatic edema, headache, or cranial nerve deficits. Good. And then when would you um, consider surgery? Surgery will be the mainstay of treatment for higher grade and importantly, large symptomatic tumors. The goal is maximal safe resection and decompression if applicable. The Simpson grading system helps classify the extent of surgical resection. So now that you mention it, um, can you explain the Simpson grading scale for me? 
<laughs> of course. Uh, this is a five-tiered system which can predict local failure rates based on extent of resection. Big picture, the lower the Simpson grade, the greater the extent of resection. So grade one represents total resection of the tumor, any dural attachments, and abnormal bone. Grade two, total resection of the tumor with coagulation of the dural attachments. Grade three, total resection of the tumor without resection or coagulation of dural attachments or extradural extensions. Grade four, partial resection of the tumor. And grade five, simple decompression, such as a biopsy. As a rule of thumb, you can multiply the grade number by 10 to estimate the local failure rate, without RT, that is. So grade 1 would roughly be a 10% local failure rate, grade 2 about 20%, and so on. It's a handy trick right there. Um, So our patient, uh, she undergoes an extensive subtotal resection, which is a Simpson grade 4. There was small residual tissue in the sagittal sinus that was unresectable. Her paresthesias improved after surgery, and pathology reveals a meningothelial cell proliferation with seven mitoses per 10 high-power field with focal areas of choroid features and brain invasion. Can you please review WHO grading and tell me what grade this is? Yeah, you bet. So WHO grading is done on a three-point scale. Grade one is benign and represents most cases about 70 to 80%. Grade 2 will show a typical clear cell or cordoid features and have 4 to 19 mitoses per 10 high-power fields. And grade 3 will show anaplastic, rhabdoid, or papillary features and have 20 or more mitoses per 10 high-power fields. Our patient's meningioma would be considered a WHO grade 2. What trait automatically upgrades an otherwise grade 1 tumor to grade 2? Ah, that's brain invasion. Ah, excellent. Great job. Okay, so so we have a 50-year-old woman here who has a WHO grade 2 parafalsine meningioma, status post subtotal resection. How do we risk stratify this patient? So RTOG 0539 had three risk categories, low, intermediate, and high, based on grade and resection. Low risk would be a WHO grade 1 tumor, that underwent either gross total resection or subtotal resection. Intermediate includes a recurrent WHO grade one tumor or grade two that underwent GTR. And high risk would be any grade three or a grade two that was recurrent or underwent a subtotal resection. In our patient's case, she has a WHO grade two tumor that underwent subtotal resection. So we would consider her high risk. All right. And what would the management recommendation be for each risk group, and what should we recommend in her case? For low-risk observation, for intermediate, we would recommend adjuvant RT to 54 gray, and for high-risk, we would recommend adjuvant RT to 60 gray to any residual tissue. Okay. And then how would you simulate and contour this patient's case? I would use a head mask. Patient lying supine with her head in a neutral position, arms to the sides. I would define the GTV as the tumor bed plus any residual nodular enhancement, not including edema or the dural tail. My CTV would be a 5 to 7 millimeter margin on the GTV, reduced around anatomic barriers and uninvolved brain regions. 
with daily KVs, my PTV would be a two to three millimeter expansion. Okay, good. And then how are you going to counsel this patient on side effects? Yeah, we worry about a few things. Uh, one would be recurrence of any heralding symptoms, in her case, the right foot paresthesias. This is usually due to treatment-related inflammation, although it's not very common. Other side effects to counsel on are fatigue, skin irritation, patchy hair loss that may or may not be permanent, headaches, and nausea. Excellent. And then how would you want to follow up with this patient after she finishes treatment? I would perform a comprehensive H&P with a restaging MRI at three months, six months, and one year. Then I'd get an MRI every three to 12 months for the next five years, then every one to three years beyond that. If I were following a higher grade tumor, I'd obtain scans at closer intervals. Fantastic. Since you did such a good job, we're going to throw you a little curveball and say this patient had an unfortunate recurrence. How would chances of local control in this case fare when compared to a newly diagnosed WHO grade 3 meningioma? Unfortunately, the likelihood of local control is worse for a recurrent WHO grade 2 versus a newly diagnosed grade 3. A post-hoc analysis of RTOG 0539 showed a three-year progression-free survival of 45% in recurrent grade 2 versus 65% in initial grade 3, as well as inferior uh, overall survival and time to progression. Given this, there are active trials looking at observation versus standard fractionated treatments to 60 gray for grade 2 meningiomas that underwent a gross total resection to hopefully preempt this issue. Incredible. Great job. Uh, thanks so much, Matt. I'm so glad that you're my co-resident and very lucky. Right back at you. <laughs> um, this concludes our episode on meningiomas. Thank you to Dr. Tanya Kapelian at UCLA for her review of today's episode. You can find our show notes on atthebeam.com. Be well and remember to trust and always verify. La 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 la